The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It's a great thing for us to be able to say again and again, not even just during this Christmas season, but we said it a lot on Christmas Day, right? Or Christmas. Did I say Christmas? Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, it's actually Easter. Shows you what happens when I don't read my notes and I go with my memory banks. They're going downhill fast. So let's start over again. Christ is risen. He is risen and this is, of course, the Easter season. It is the time when we are celebrating that our Lord and Savior is alive. And one of the things that is so impressive for us is not only is he alive, he keeps his word. Think about that. Jesus is the only one in history who said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And he did. And he did it. He did it for you and for me. And that's what makes the Christian faith so unique. And why you and I are blessed to be gathered together in this place, and all Christians are blessed wherever they are to celebrate that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And you know what? Jesus not only rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. He appeared to his disciples. He revealed himself to his disciples for 40 days. Imagine that. That's roughly a month and a half, right? That's actually quite a bit of time. And the amazing thing is, the disciples knew that Jesus had died, and all of a sudden he sees somebody alive. And he talks to them just as he said he would. But he was unique in the sense that as he revealed himself, he could be seen when and where he wanted to be and not be seen as well. We don't get that. Because none of us can do it. Nor can anyone else. But Jesus can. And he does. Just as Jesus is actually here with us right now. He says, where two or three gather together in my name, there am I in their midst. And Jesus also made a promise to you. I'm with you always. 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 You're never alone. You may at times feel alone, but you're never alone. Because Jesus is with you as he promises. Now, in our gospel reading for today and our sermon theme, you'll notice that the word revealed is used. And I'm really happy that it's used because in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the definition is given for revealed this way when it's used as a verb, to make known through divine inspiration. Some translations use the word appeared, which of course is something he did. But the idea of him revealing himself as divine inspiration, of course, he is doing this as the son of God and son of man. He's there. 
He was 100% God. He's 100% man when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, when he was died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, when he ascended into heaven, and when he comes again. He is 100% human. He is 100% God. And that is how Jesus revealed himself to his disciples in ways that we cannot begin to understand. Jesus wanted his disciples to know something extraordinary happened. And you know, he's still doing extraordinary things today, isn't he? The only other place in the Bible where the Greek word that is translated as revealed is used is actually in John's gospel as well, but it's at the beginning of his gospel. And what's fascinating is it is used in this text. Different translation, however, that word manifested is used. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. We like to use the word signs because signs say this points ahead, explains to us how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies of the Old Testament. What would the Messiah do? What would the Christ do? And Jesus is doing those things. So what difference does it make for you and me if Jesus revealed himself to his disciples back then? Well, simply put, it helps us to understand that Jesus still reveals himself when he wants, where he wants, and how he wants. He is the risen Redeemer. And because he is, he continues to reveal himself to us as the risen Redeemer. We're going to look a little bit more at that in a little bit of time. But first, I'd like to review with you some of the Old Testament prophecies that the Christ, the Messiah, would indeed be put to death and rise from the dead. In Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And in Isaiah 53, verse 10, you can read all of Isaiah 53, but in verse 10 it says, Yet it was the Lord, the will of the Lord, to crush him. He has put him to, in grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Jesus is alive. The Messiah is alive because that is the will of the Lord. And then you have in our Gospel of John, the last three Sundays we've been looking at what took place. You might remember on Easter Sunday in John chapter 20, we have found recorded how Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away, the angels are there, and they tell <clears throat> the women to go and tell his disciples to go ahead into Galilee. But also, right after that text, we find something important happening. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. She's in the garden. She supposes that he is the gardener until he speaks to her 
and she realizes who it was. After that, we find recorded then these words, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus prophesied at least three different times that he would indeed have to suffer and die and rise from the dead. And he did, just as he said he would. So then he appeared to the disciples, first to Mary Magdalene, to the women, to Mary Magdalene, and then he appeared to ten of his disciples in an upper room. The doors are locked because they're afraid the Jews are going to come. And the Jews don't come, but Jesus comes in their midst. Peace be with you. They're amazed. They can't believe it's really him. And then they tell Thomas about that. Last week, we looked at Thomas and his response. He had a hard time believing that it was really Jesus, right? He said, unless I put my hand into his side, my fingers into his hands, I won't believe. Eight days later, we're told Jesus appears to Thomas and the rest of the disciples. How does Jesus reveal himself to people is still a great mystery to us. But we know he does, and he continues to do so as he desires to do that very thing. Jesus said to his disciples, now I, am, uh, I, I want you to go to Galilee. So they're in Jerusalem, by the way. <clears throat> How far is it from Jerusalem to Galilee? Well, I uh, Googled this yesterday. And so, if you will, you can take a look down at the bottom. You see Jerusalem. Oops, press the wrong button. I think that does a look at that. See Jerusalem right there? And there's Galilee up there. That's Capernaum. That's where Peter lived. So, if you will, taking that little route along there, it's 102 miles, 35 hours to walk. It's a long ways to walk, isn't it? We're not told how long it took them to get there. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go and meet you there in three days. He just said, go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. How long were they supposed to wait? Have you ever had to wait for someone, for something? It's kind of hard, isn't it? I'm coming. You just got to wait. Has Jesus told you he's coming? Has he told you you just got to wait? You got to wait, right? I got to wait till Jesus comes back. Do we know when he's coming? No. Does he know when he's coming? So what are we supposed to do while we're waiting? <laughs> while you're here, <laughs> that's one good thing, right? We're supposed to worship him, right? We're supposed to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to read his word. We're supposed to pray. 
We're supposed to serve him. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by God's grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. So no one can boast. But then in verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship. So we're not supposed to do the works to save ourselves, but we are to do the works because that's what he created us in Christ to do. And God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and do these good works. And so we're here to do good works. We're here to use what God has given to us for his glory and for the betterment of other people. Use our time, use the talents, use our spiritual gifts, use our finances and material resources. Everything we have, we are to use for his glory and for the betterment of other people. To extend his kingdom. That's why we're here. While we wait. While we wait. So, will you recognize Jesus when he comes? That was kind of the question that the disciples had, right? There they are, up in Galilee. They decide, well, it's not here yet. We might as well go out fishing. We know how to do that. We could use a little bit of more money. We could use some food to eat, right? Let's go fishing. So the other guys go, yeah, let's go on in the boat. So they go out and they go fishing. They come, they're out there and coming back in the morning. And there's this guy on the side of the lake shore and he yells out to them, hey, children, don't you like that? Children, the Greek word is paideia. It means children, like little people. Uh, hey, you guys catch anything? He knew, and he, when he asked the question, it was expecting the answer, no, we haven't caught anything. <clears throat> and so then Jesus says to them, Hey, guys, throw your net on the other side. Do you think that ever happened before? It did. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are getting ready to go fishing. And actually, they've been fishing just like they had, hadn't caught anything. And Jesus tells them, hey, go on back out there and throw your net on the other side. And Peter says, at your word, I will let down the net. <laughs> and he does. And guess what? There's lots of fish. Lots of fish. And after that, Jesus tells them, now come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So they had that experience at the beginning of the ministry, three years before. And now suddenly, what happens again? There they are, fishing. Jesus appears on the side of the seashore, right? And he says to them, go on back out, guys. Throw out your nets on the other side. And they do. And they catch 153 fish. When you go fishing, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was there telling you where to put your net or where to put your line? Jesus is an amazing God who loves you and me. 
and gives to us what we need when we need it according to his will. Now, as you ponder when and how you will recognize our risen Redeemer, I'd like to remind you that Jesus doesn't always do things in ways we think he will or he should. In fact, God's ways are oftentimes difficult for us to comprehend. We heard about the Apostle Paul, who once was Saul, in our first reading today. You can only imagine what he went through those three days when Jesus suddenly appears to him with the blinding light and he can't see anything for three days. He has to really try to reorient his whole way of life and faith. This is Jesus who did this to me? <laughs> yeah. And later on in Romans chapter 11, Paul writes this. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? We can't get it all. We don't understand it all. We don't, we try but we are limited in our understanding. And probably one of the most challenging things for us to even begin to comprehend is how Jesus would and did and die on that cross for our sins and how he could love us so much that he did. The Apostle Paul says that's a stumbling block for the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. So I think it's fair to say that you and I oftentimes in our lives, if we are reading the Bible or looking around at things going on, and we want to know more answers, and those answers don't seem to be readily available in the Bible. And we certainly wish that Jesus were here to tell us more, to answer those questions. And... We're not alone in terms of feeling this way. This is something that God's people have done throughout history. What Martin Luther said is we need to think of those questions we have as things that are hidden. Hidden by God because Jesus doesn't choose to reveal those answers to us right now. In fact, Martin Luther has written, what is above us it's none of our business. We may not like that answer. But in truth, God tells you what you need to know. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's right at John 20, 31. What Jesus knows is best for us, and he tells us what we need to know. But this text from the Apostle Paul is also helpful from 1 Corinthians. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's his promise. And he is going to reveal himself when he wants and how he wants. And one of the ways that he still reveals himself to us is something that is right before us. 
One of those ways is the Bible. That word reveals to us who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and it tells us about us and tells us about all humankind. Another way Jesus reveals himself to us is when he takes something so simple as water and unites that word. He reveals himself as the Son of God who loves us, who claims us to be his own and forgives us our sins. He reveals himself in simple means, in bread, simple bread, flour and water. He reveals himself in simple ways, in wine, simple ways that he gives to us. As he reveals himself to us, adding his body and his blood to the bread and the wine, why? That we might in an intimate, tangible way taste his body and his blood, the human body, the human blood that was shed for us on the cross at Calvary to pay for our sins so that we are forgiven he reveals himself to us in these ways. We don't always get it. There's still mysteries. But this is his promise. And it's important that you and I believe in this risen Redeemer who reveals himself to us in these ways because we have three enemies that are trying to obscure what he has revealed to us. The devil and the world and our sinful flesh do not want us to believe he reveals himself to us in these ways or gives to us these promises and these blessings. And so, sisters and brothers in Christ, as we wait for our Lord to call us home, he reveals himself, and he gives us the privilege of being able to share what he has done for us and what he has done for all humanity, that they too might believe. May God, by his grace, give us strength and encouragement as we wait. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which passes our human understanding, guard and protect us in the Christian faith unto life everlasting. Amen.